Hello and welcome. The following message is from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. My friends, today's story begins thousands of years ago in the desert of Sinai. See, God had rescued his people from bondage in Egypt. And uh, the story is told in, in the book of the Bible called Exodus. And at this point, God's people have been wandering for about seven weeks, and it's time to find a new home. So, so God sets up a meeting with his, his prophet, his representative named Moses. And Moses, he goes up this mountain of Sinai, and nobody knows what he saw because Moses is the only one allowed up. Down below, the people could only guess, and, and they could see the smoke and the lightning, but they could only guess what's going on. They didn't know what happened until Moses came back and told them, and he showed them the Torah. Torah is the tablet of God's law. Moses had gone up the mountain with nothing in his hands. He came down with this stone tablet and 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 on this tablet is inscribed God's law. And it, it made functionally it made Israel a nation. Now they've got a, a law code. Now they've it's like a constitution and uh and and now God has made them his special people. Okay? And for centuries God's people Israel celebrated the giving of Torah with the feast of Shavuot. Now, Shavuot is a Hebrew word meaning weeks. And so the, the, the feast of weeks comes in the Jewish calendar uh, seven weeks after Passover. So about 50 days. Okay, after 50 days, you've got Shavuot. And at, at Shavuot, uh, Jewish families from all over the region come to Jerusalem to do a couple of things. First, to, to thank God for the harvest and to remember that at Sinai, God gave them Torah. Well, fun fact, another word for Shavuot, which is a Hebrew word, uh, the Greek word for Shavuot is Pentecost. Pentecost. And so when we join this story in, in Acts chapter 2, uh, that's Pentecost. And when we join uh, the scripture today in Acts chapter 2, uh, Pentecost is the reason why there are thousands of Jewish tourists in Jerusalem. And just like the first Pentecost, when God visits with Moses on Sinai, this Pentecost is when the Spirit of God is going to visit the church. Okay, There's going to be sort of a face-to-face dust-up between God's Spirit and the church. Now today we begin a series called Holy Ghost Stories. And each week we're going to hear stories where the Holy Spirit is the main character, you know, he's the main actor, and, and we're going to see what he can do. But if, actually, if, if these stories work, uh, what's going to happen is we're going to be able to discern it when the Spirit is at work in similar ways in our day, in our time, in our context. We'll be able to tell that, that the Spirit is at work because we'll have seen how he was at work in those days. 
And it seems to me like Pentecost is just a really good place for us to start these Holy Ghost stories. And so now Pentecost raises some some important questions. I got I got three questions I want to ask. Um, but in terms of an overview where we're going, uh, I want to hear this story from the perspective of the people inside the house. Then I want to hear the perspective of the people outside the house. And then, like in any good story, we're going to see that there is a surprise twist. So let's begin by first hearing the story from the perspective of the people inside the house. Inside the house, okay? So what's going on? Well, they're inside, kind of huddled together. They're waiting. Because Jesus had said in chapter 1, verse 8, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Like, that's when you'll be my witnesses, when you receive the Holy Spirit. Now, who is he talking to? Who are we talking about here? We're talking about some of the first disciples. We're talking about the very, very earliest expression of the church. And here they are, gathered, kind of huddled together upstairs in this house, waiting in Jerusalem. In fact, in chapter 1, verse 13, it names them. We've got Peter and James and and John and Andrew and Philip, Thomas and Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, Judas the son of James. And we read that they they all were continually united in prayer, along with the women, including Mary the mother of Jesus and Jesus' brothers. So all these people, all these believers are together and they're waiting and praying and praying. And they're waiting and they have uh, they take a moment to do a little bit of business and having kind of an AGM because they're a church and they've got to do a bit of church business. And little did they know that there was someone else in the room. And at just the right moment, he showed himself. Because then there's wind. There's the whooshing of wind. Now, let's, let's move our arms together. Let's make the whoosh of the wind. Okay, kids, can you help me out here? Move your arms and make the whooshing sound of the wind. So when the Holy Spirit shows up in this upper room, there's this loud rushing wind, okay? Can you feel it? Can you hear it? But it's not just the wind because there's also fire. So keep going with your, with your whooshing and with your waving of your arms because now there's fireballs, do you, do you see the fire? These are actually silk rose petals that uh, I picked up and, and I just thought it'd be cool for the effect. But these are, there's fireballs that are falling from the sky and they're landing above the disciples' head in the form of tongues of fire. So there's the wind and then there's the fire. Can you feel it? Can you see the, the fire? Can you feel the wind? But it's not just wind and it's not just fire. It's also the tongues. It's also the tongues because... They're all of a sudden all speaking in languages that none of them had ever learned. And so here's Peter over here and he's speaking Greek. And here's Mary, the mother of Jesus, and she's speaking fluent like Celtic. And here's John the Apostle over here and he's speaking perfect Latin. And, and then behind them is, is Thomas and he's speaking perfect Arabic. And we could go on and on and on because there are people of, of African descent in, in the area and there are people of Middle Eastern descent and there are Asian tongues being spoken and there are Western tongues being spoken. Do you see what's going on here? This is Jesus' promise fulfilled. 
They have just received the power that Jesus promised them. They are now full of the Spirit, full of his energy, full of his confidence and his joy and his love. And from here on, the church is now unleashed on the world to be his witnesses and tell the story of Jesus. And we, this, is, this would be a fine place to end this Holy Ghost story. Except they're not the only ones there. Because we can't forget about the people outside. We've heard the experience of the people inside, but what about the perspective of the people outside the house? Who are, who are they? Well, they're not bad guys. These are devoted, like God-fearing, traditional Jews who, who came to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost or Shavuot. They, they, uh, they hear the commotion outside the house and they're, they're sure that it's bad. They're skeptical about it because this is just not how God's people be, behave. You know, this is, this is how drunk people behave. And so they make fun, they criticize, they judge, and they accuse the disciples of being drunk, even though it's only nine o'clock in the morning. Well, the apostle Peter isn't having it. This is where he steps up. And in verse 14, he gets up and he, he preaches a very important sermon. And, and lots of things happen in this sermon. Peter corrects them about what this really is. He says, we are not drunk you know, as, as you have, as you suppose, like, don't you guys know your Bible? This is clearly what you read about in the prophets. He, so he corrects them about what's really going on. He corrects them about who Jesus really is. He, he tells them Jesus is God's Messiah and he always was. And, and you guys killed him. And you did that according to God's plan. But he, that wasn't the end of the story. Because God raised Jesus up. And not even David was that great. So he, he corrects them about what's really going on. He corrects them about who Jesus really is. And then he corrects them about what Jesus really did. About what really Jesus really did. Verse 33, chapter 2, verse 33, it says, Jesus has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit. He has poured out what you both see and hear. Okay? This is Jesus doing. It's Jesus who's pouring out the Spirit like pouring out a pitcher. He's poured out the Spirit, and that's why you see what you see and hear what you hear now. And then he ends with this. He drops like this, just nuclear bomb. Verse 36, Let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. You know what that is? That is the gospel. That's the gospel. Well, what happens next, according to the text, is that they, when they heard this, they're pierced to the heart, verse 37, and they say, brothers, what should we do? What should we do? And we're like, wow, like that's a change. Like, is this the same crowd? You know, like 20 minutes ago, they're, they're shaking their heads and, and, you know, wagging their fingers and accusing the disciples of being drunk. Now it's like, what do I have to do so that I can be in there instead of out here? And, and you know, obviously, like we know because we've just read the passage that this story ends with those people being baptized and 3,000 of them joining the church that day. But you and I know this could have gone very differently. Because suppose, you know, Peter gets to the end of his message uh, and they go, what should we do? 
And Peter explains it, and then they get really offended. Oh, really, Peter? So now anyone can belong to the family of God, no matter what their background, no matter whether they observe the Torah or not, no matter what they've done, no matter uh, what their background. Are you serious, Peter? Like, that's offensive. You are belittling God's word. In that, in that case, it's all for nothing. The church starts and stops at Pentecost because these witnesses couldn't handle being challenged to repent. But you know, another way that this could have gone is, well, suppose they ask, what, what should we do? Brothers, what should we do? And Peter says, oh, really? Well, now you're teachable. Oh, now you're ready to hear it, aren't you? Well, forget it, about, because a few minutes ago, you made, sen- you made fun of us. You criticized us. You judged us. Well, I know what the answer to your question is. And you know what? I'm not telling. I'm not telling because you made fun of us. And, and you know, if, if that's what Peter did, uh, if, if he refused to show mercy, if he re- refused to forgive in the way that he had been forgiven and in the way that he had shown, been shown mercy by the Lord after he betrayed Jesus, if that's how this goes down, it's all for nothing. The wind and the fire and the tongues, it's all for nothing. And again, the church starts and stops at Pentecost and there are no more Holy Ghost stories. But of course, that's, that's not what happened. Uh, there's a surprise twist. And, and what it is, is this. They, they ask Peter, the, these witnesses, these, these hearers, ask Peter, what should we do? And he tells them, listen, Repent and be baptized, all of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And 3,000 people were baptized and received the Spirit that day. 3,000 skeptics and fundamentalists and liberals and name-callers, are they join the church and are baptized that day. Now that is huge. It's huge. I imagine it probably took all day just to baptize them all. And at the end of the story, they've all joined the church. And I'm like, thank you, Spirit. That is amazing. That's amazing. Because think of it, like one group in this story, they've been waiting patiently together in this upper room, obediently waiting, expecting the Holy Spirit to come someday. And they receive him. And they get the fire, they get the wind, they get the tongues. This is something, it's something powerful and supernatural. Something, something that they can't explain any other way except that it's God. Okay, that's the one group. But there's the other group and, and they start out skeptical and they made fun. And, 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 and one sermon later, they are just as baptized, just as forgiven, and they have just as much right to be part of the church as the disciples did. And the disciples aren't even jealous. And we're like, man, that just that almost that almost doesn't feel right. Like that to, to us, that to a lot of us, I bet it just doesn't seem fair, right? It just doesn't seem fair, and it's not. It's not fair. It's not about fair or unfair. It's about grace. It's grace, and that's the twist here. That's the twist. You know, thousands of years ago. At the first Pentecost, Moses ascends Sinai. He goes up to up the mountain. And he comes down with the gift of Torah. And that's how they know that he is their God and they are his people. But this is Pentecost 
2.0. This is the new Pentecost. And, and now it's not Moses, but now it's Jesus who has ascended. And his gift isn't on tablets of stone. It's now, now his gift is a, is a whole new way for people to relate to God. Not with a law code, but a, a living way, a powerful way, a person. A person. We relate to God through a person, the Holy Spirit. And he's in us. You know that? The Spirit is in us. He is for us. He helps us. He teaches us. He heals us. And He leads us. The, the Spirit of God, you know, you know, He is not like the third wheel of the Trinity. He is the very breath of God, the, the wind of God, the fire of God, the energy of God. That's what the Holy Spirit is. That's who He is. And, and, and so, and you know, Pentecost 1.0, it was great. The first Pentecost was great. And because after it, God's people knew God's will. But you know what the, the new Pentecost was? Pentecost 2.0 was where people knew God's will and now we have the, the power to follow it. And now God has personally come to live in us and to help us along. Isn't that amazing? That is just amazing. And so if, if you are raised in the most like faithful safe, godly, loving Christian home, and you have put your faith in Jesus, you can know that the Spirit is yours. But if you were raised in some like legalistic tradition that you're trying to heal from, or to, to maybe like deconstruct or something, and if you put your faith in Jesus, the Spirit is yours. And, and even if you're not sure what you think about religion, because it just seems like there's so many ways religious people have done more harm than good. If that's you, and if you put your faith in Jesus, not in religion, the Spirit is yours. Even if you have like a hundred doubts and questions, even if this just doesn't make sense to you, if you put your faith in Jesus, and you can, the spirit is still yours. And, and, and that's just a that's just a really important Holy Ghost story, isn't it? Because like, like Pentecost is how God shows the world that his plans are too big for any one people group. He's, he's coming for every nation. He's coming for every language and tradition, every city and every family, everyone, including us, if we will have him. That's what God is up to. So, so listen to this from, um, from N.T. Wright. He asks this important question. He says, part of the challenge of Pentecost is the question, have our churches today got enough energy, enough spirit-driven new life to make onlookers pass any comment at all? Has anything happened which might make people think we were drunk? If not, is it because the spirit is simply at work in other ways or because we have so successfully quenched the spirit that there is actually nothing happening at all. Well, that's a good question. That's that's worth thinking about. So, so, so let me pose it in. Let me pose a few questions for us to wrestle with. Um, first question is this: Was was Pentecost an end or a beginning? This is a really important kind of starting point as we try to take this away right like was this the conclusion of something that god began a long long time ago was this the spirit's final powerful act or was pentecost the start of something well i think it's the latter you know 
And, and over the course of these Holy Ghost stories, we're going to see what the Spirit has done in the past. But another thing that we need is to develop eyes to be able to see it when the Spirit is at work today. Like, what if we could discern his pattern or the signs or the indicators? What if we could um, identify his, like, his signature on events going on in our culture? You know, what if we could look at what's going on in our culture and be, be pretty confident that that's the Spirit's doing? Wouldn't that be great? In fact, I mean, I, I bet some of you have had impressions about this already. Like, how many of you, quick show of hands, how many of you, when you look at some of the situations facing us, uh, either locally in our city or maybe nationally, you it, it just seems like God is doing something different today. Like God's Spirit is up to something. How many of you have that sense? Yeah, some people definitely. Yeah, for sure. Good. <clears throat> A few examples that quickly come to mind. What about, the, you know, I, I think about the churches that have closed because of COVID. And I'm just like, there are so many people out there who had a church or had a faith community and then Sunday morning stopped and their spiritual life dried up. You know, that's, I, I grieve for that. And I, but I bet God has some plans for the, the church on the other side of COVID I think another example that comes to mind, I think about the discoveries of these mass graves at residential schools. And we've found three so far and with with new ones coming out all the time, it seems. And I'm just like, what about their families? You know, what about their survivors? What about the people who think based on these stories, the people who conclude that the church is evil? What do you do with that? Well, I like I I'm pretty confident God isn't stressed about it. He I I actually think he would rather that we mourn with those who mourn and invite and he would invite us to join him in the work that he's doing of healing and reconciliation. Another example that comes to mind really quickly is our is our kids. Our kids like this pandemic has been super hard on kids and it's super costly for our kids. And it seems like I mean, I've been around a while. I used to be a school teacher. And it seems like kids' mental needs and emotional needs and social needs, these have become part of like a national conversation. And that is a first for me. And it seems to me, like, I bet that God is in that. And and probably hardly anybody expected him to be. And, And we could go on, right? Like, I could name a bunch of other examples. But it seems to me, we can participate in these stories because Pentecost was just the beginning and not the end. Okay, Pentecost was a beginning and not an end. Another question that this raises for us is, how do doubters become disciples? How do doubters become disciples? I actually think that that's a false dichotomy. And, and when I was, uh, I remember when I was about 17 years old, I was at a house party and some of my Christian friends were there I wasn't one at the time, but but I was pretty sure of myself at, at age 17, and I made fun of them at this house party. We were sitting together in the basement chatting about religion and some of the big questions of life, and I made fun of them for believing that the, the Bible stories are true, but that the stories of like Greek and Roman mythology are not true. Like I made fun of them for that. And I made fun of them for believing in a God who could end suffering but doesn't. Okay, I made fun of them for that. 
And I made fun of them for, de- for kind of like depriving themselves of this, a lot of the things that, you know, teenagers were into at the time. I made fun of them for that. And you know what? Not, not too long after that, what, what, what happened was a, a really good friend of mine, she died in a car accident. And I'll always remember that at her visitation and at the funeral and all the events after that, I remember that of all the people there, of all the people in the room, it was those Christian kids who were uh, able to help and to serve and to comfort the rest of us. That really spoke to me. And, and that was the first time that I remember realizing, I am so sure that I'm right. Why am I so sure that I'm right? Why do I assume that I have all the answers? Like, I am, I'm such a skeptic. I'm skeptical about everything except my own skepticism. I doubt everybody and I doubt everything except, it seems, my, my doubts. You know, that was the first time I remember being open to the possibility that Jesus is real and, and you know what? That's called repentance. That's repentance. And that's the thing that Peter told the crowd about at Pentecost. And, and Pentecost doesn't mean that we stop doubting and we stop having questions. Repentance means learning to trust Jesus with those doubts and questions. It means learning to trust Jesus more than we trust ourselves and our own intelligence. That's the Christian life, okay? The Christian life is learning to doubt your doubts Learning to challenge your assumptions and let your assumptions be corrected. That's the Christian life. Learning to step out in faith and to follow the way of Jesus into the places he trusts you or into the places he leads you. It's almost like, you know, your life, you were headed in one direction because you were pretty sure of yourself. And then God showed up and he said or he did something to sort of do a course correct. And now we're open to the possibility that he knows better. And so now we've turned from that first path and now we're going on a different path. That's repentance. And so I would want to say here that doubters are disciples. Doubters are disciples. We don't outgrow our questions. We don't outgrow our doubts. We grow in our ability to challenge them and live with the presence of doubts and questions, okay? That's what happens. And I think the last question I would want to pose to us is this. Where would we rather be? Would we rather be on the inside or the outside? The inside or the outside? You know, this, this Holy Ghost story, it seems to me, it presents us with a choice. Like when the Holy Spirit shows up in power, where do we want to be? Do we want to be the ones on the inside seeing it, experiencing it? Or do we want to be the ones on the outside? Because, you know, yeah, it's true. 3,000 people outside believed and were baptized that day. Are, Are those people saved? Absolutely. Are their sins forgiven? Absolutely. Have they received eternal life? Yes, absolutely. And and that's awesome. All of that is awesome. But you know what? They missed the fire. They missed the wind. And they missed the tongues. You know, those 3,000 people received the Spirit and every one of them missed Pentecost. They missed it. Uh, like I think of it like this. You know, th- I, when I think about that first Pentecost, Moses up on the mountain, you know, if if we could be among the people of Israel who heard Moses come down and share the story of what he saw on the mountain, like it'd be cool to hear that secondhand, right? 
It wouldn't be terrible. It'd be pretty cool, actually, to hear secondhand Moses tell us what he saw. But what if you could witness it for yourself? Wouldn't you want to? Like, of, of course you would. Of course you'd want to witness that for yourself. It seems to me that's what we are offered in the Holy Spirit. The, the disciples are offered a front row seat. They don't just get to see what the Israelites saw from a distance. They get to see Moses' eye view. Okay? They, they see the Moses' eye view. And, and I want that. I want that, don't you? Like, if I'm allowed to get the Moses' eye view of what God is doing... I'm just like, bring it on. Bring it on. I would love to see as much as Moses saw. And you know what? Scripture actually says that our church, our position, our posture as the church is even better than what Moses had. It's even better than what Moses saw. And the Apostle Paul, he tells us in 2 Corinthians 3, he says, we have such a hope. He talks about the hope that we have. And he says, since we have such a hope, we act with great boldness. We are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face. We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. You hear that? Do you hear that? We're not like Moses. We have to cover our faces. We we are looking at the Lord. We are okay. We get to look at the Lord, and by doing so, we are being transformed bit by bit into the same image from glory to glory. We are being transformed as we uh, are as we are invited, and we answer that invitation to enter in and behold what the Spirit is doing. And I'm just like, man, if God has the plans like that for me, if he has plans like that for my family or our church or our neighborhood or this city, bring it on. Like, I want to join him in that. I want to see whatever it is that he wants me to see. I want to see whatever it is he wants for me to see and experience. That's what I want. Isn't that what you want? I don't want to hear about it second or third hand. I don't want to be on the outside, you know, pointing fingers and and shaking my head and making fun. I'm like, God, I want to be there. I want to be there. God, I want to be on the inside. No more excuses. No more fear. No more self-doubt. No more running from you. I want to be filled with your spirit. Make my life a Holy Ghost story. My life. Make... Our story, our church's story, a Holy Ghost story, and do that for the city. Would you just join me as we pray for that? Thanks for listening to this message from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Feel free to copy and share these resources, but please don't alter the content in any way. We invite you to visit us online again soon at www.benediction.church for more teaching and information about how you can join us in serving and praying that it would be in Hamilton as it is in heaven.